Welcome to Virtual Economy, a podcast about the business of games for the rest of us. We're your hosts. I'm Amanda Farrow. And I'm Michael Footer. Each episode will cover the biggest business beats and bring in expert commentary from lawyers, analysts, and industry pros. This is episode 134. GameStop and Unity want those payoffs for layoffs. We are back from a short little break. We went to the beach. It was nice. It was nice. We had a good time. We uh, made some saltwater taffy. We, I, we have still have so much saltwater taffy. We have a lot of stuff. We brought some great stuff back, including us. There Wait, was a, are there we was stuff? actually are we stuff? Oh, I'm HR puffin stuff. I knew it. Yeah. So uh, there was a lot of news in the that couple happened. of weeks since our last show. And like shockingly, a bunch of investment news yeah. caught on the heels of us saying, hey guys, there's Get not your a deals lot of investment yeah. news. Get your deals in. I guess that's what people are doing. They're getting them deals in. Yeah. Starting off, E3 is making an in-person comeback in 2023, but the ESA has finally come to terms with the fact that they absolutely suck at this. Yeah, they yeah. did. So uh, the lobbying group has enlisted ReadPop, which runs the PAX family events, family of events, rather, Star Wars Celebration, New York Comic Con, Emerald City Comic Con, and more. So this is interesting because I had actually heard this along the way for a few years now that ReadPop has really been angling to take control of E3. I now, mean, they're a better fit for it. They are. They are. There There are a couple of things that stand out to me that already make the communications around this so much better than the ESA could ever muster. First up, uh, this is a quote from the press release. E3 2023 will welcome back publishers, developers, journalists, content creators, manufacturers, buyers, and licensors. The event will also highlight digital showcases and feature in-person consumer components. Now, the order of that, they have grouped all of the industry people up front. This is an event that I would like to go to, by the way. Yeah. And I we'll talk about that in a second, because you and I swore off E3 as <laughs> run by the ESA. It's no longer going to be, though. No. Here, here's the thing. like You can have in-person consumer components that aren't in the LACC, so that you can keep the public out of the way of everybody who needs to get from appointment to appointment, and who's trying to actually conduct business. So... That's really interesting. I really hope there is a de-emphasis of the consumer presence, at least inside the LACC. Now, the reason for that, for those that are like, oh, you guys just don't like consumers No, it's gamers, not. It's not that. We go to PAX really all not. the time. We love PAX. PAX especially is one of my favorite events. But for a long time as a journalist, E3 was it. It was yeah. the thing. This was the event where you... You had the most access to for, the best content. For those of us in North America, don't yes. want to discount Gamescom. Which, I've never been. Which is a hybrid event. Like, I, I was actually talking to Rev Valentine on Twitter because she's going for the first time to Gamescom. Good for Rev. I'm really excited for her. Um, if you've never been to Gamescom and you're a journalist, my, my big advice is seek out somebody who has been. Because there was a lot of stuff that Alexander Slowinski clued me into before my first Gamescom that was really, really helpful. And I learned a lot along the way. It's a very daunting show for a U.S. journalist to cover. It's a very long flight even from the East Coast of the United States, but she's coming from San Francisco. Uh, so she's like, yeah, I'm going to get in there on Sunday and I'm going to have a whole day. What should I do other than sleep? And I said to her, I'm like, you should anticipate that you're going to be jet lagged to hell because that's an overnight flight. And getting through the airport and getting through customs and all that stuff. It's you know, no joke in Germany. I was shocked. Like when I went, 
when I went with James to Rome, mm-hmm. I thought I was going to be way more jet lagged than I was, but I wasn't jet lagged at all. Yeah. That's going back to the home country, I guess, I, of my soul. Okay. I mean, I I remember being pretty exhausted landing every single time. And again, I was coming from the East Coast, not the West Coast. Right. Anyway. anyway. So, yes, but E3 was the industry event for a long time. And for a North American-based journalist, that was the thing. That it was, was the thing. It was the thing where you got your appointments in for the year. You set up content for later in the year, interviews down the line. You had your big C-suite mm-hmm. interviews, especially yes. if you worked on the business side of the equation. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was really, really important. And the last time that we were there and, you know, the ESA doxed us, and we'll get to that. Yes. Um, yeah, we were we pretty much swore off this event. Yep. So, uh, speaking of which, this is the important note, which actually makes me excited to go back. Uh, a streamlined and secure media registration for E3 2023 will begin in late 2022. First of all, that's earlier. Streamlined. Streamlined and secure. And this is the thing. We have registered over and over and over again with ReadPop. We've never had a problem. New York Comic Con. I've, I've been a moderator at New York Comic Con. I've been a panel moderator and participant at, at PAX. So we both you. have. So I trust ReadPop. Yeah, they, they've kept our data safe for many years, and I am usually pretty happy with the way they tend to run things, minus the mask mandates. Right, and this is the thing that we're waiting to see. We know that ReadPop, which runs Emerald City Comic Con, has loosened its COVID-related protocols for that event, which takes place two weeks before PAX West. We, we've made the decision not to go to PAX West. Again, we're in the middle of another spike, BA5 which is the current COVID variant is pretty rough. So we're going to, we're going to keep it safe. We also have three kids starting in new schools. (laughs) So it's going to be a busy fall for us. We're excited to return to PAX East tentatively in Boston next year. Fingers crossed that, that COVID cooperates and and everybody cooperates in helping get COVID under control. We'll see about that. So (laughs) there are some things that do remain to be seen and some questions that we have. Obviously, Jeff Keighley has announced that his Summer Game Fest event, which was live and in person, which was similar to Judges Week, has been in the past. Right. For those of you who don't know, Judges Week is typically uh, about a week and a half before E3 proper. It is for select invited media event uh, media outlets. I've never gone. Either have I. And they send one or two representatives. They see... There's a lot of stuff that is embargoed until E3, so it's a way to get a jump on coverage. There's also the E3 Awards were were a big part of that. Now, Jeff has said that he wants to run Summer Game Fest live again. Uh, He wants to expand it next year, and he wants there to be a consumer component. So if there is a consumer component and there is this... Now, if if he doesn't go back to running it like Judges Week, I'm wondering how the industry supports what is effectively three full three full days of Summer Game Fest with a consumer component and then three full days of E3 with additionally the digital events that or the, the press conferences that happen on top of that. Remember, in a normal year, and I see you putting your finger on your nose. I'm just going to run through this and I'll hand the, fo- hand the floor over to you. Um, so in the past, we typically had like six press conferences. It was, of course, all three major platform holders. So you had Xbox. You had PlayStation and you had a Nintendo Direct that became that shifted to a pre-recorded event. It did. Uh, in 2013, I think, was the first pre-recorded yeah. Nintendo. It might have been 2014. And then you have EA, Ubisoft, 
that typically has events. Warner Brothers doesn't. Square sometimes does. They did uh, the last been, we, few times. Yep, and you and I went to that. Uh, you've got... Um, uh, who am I missing? Take Two doesn't... doesn't PC Gamer. PC, like, uh, PC Gaming Show. Yeah, PC is, Gaming Show, they, they have done it live in the past. They have. In fact, it started as, as a live show. I'm trying to think if there's any other publishers... Uh, Bethesda used to. Bethesda, Bethesda used to, right. Bethesda, it's now, now it's now Xbox Bethesda. And Activision never really did. Of course, they're potentially, by the time this rolls around, uh, very likely going to be part of Microsoft as well. So there's usually five or six press conferences that you got to deal with as well, which run Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and EA Live, which was an off-site event that only ran the weekend before E3, right. was out in Hollywood. So yeah. it's going to be very interesting to see as E3 comes back, as Summer Game Fest becomes its own thing, how all of these pieces are going to slot together, especially as publishers have become very comfortable running their own digital events. Right. Absolutely. And I've completely forgotten what I was going to say. Okay. Well, so punch me if it comes back to you and I will shut my mouth immediately. <laughs> it's I'm fine. sorry. It's fine. It's not the end of the world. Um, okay. So... It'll be, it'll be interesting to see. Oh, that's what I was going to say. There are fewer outlets with journalists that are being paid to be at E3 these days because of all of the staff cuts yeah, that have happened. So we'll talk about some of that. So it's been really difficult because, you know, coverage is what coverage is. And there's only so many journalists. Yes, it's true. It's true. It's and that's the big problem that I'm personally seeing here is that, you know, with the advent of um, Key 3, as we've yep. been calling it, and E3 and every and all the auxiliary pieces that go along with it, because it's a really exhausting thing to cover. It's a lot of fun, but it's really exhausting from a consumer perspective, mm -hmm. especially. It's not as bad from the business side because a lot of its interviews um, then there's transcribing, but that's a whole other nightmare. Yes. But my point is, this is going to tax already exhausted members of the media. It is. I think this needs to be, I think everybody involved needs to be very careful. And quite frankly, Reed Pop should, should be working with Jeff Keighley, at least having a conversation with him. I know he, he and the ESA have fallen out, but this seems like the dawn of a new generation. It kind of does. Era. Yeah, it kind of does. And you know what? Good. Yeah, absolutely. So E3 2023 is scheduled for the second week of June 2023 that if it follows the traditional Tuesday through Thursday format for the event proper would be June 13th through the 15th. Right. And pr the press day is usually on the 12th. There's no press day for E3. I thought there was. No. Is it just press morning? No. What are you talking about? There has been in the past. No, it's, it's, well, remember it was all press. Oh, so, I guess that's true. Those three days, those were the three days. But now maybe was, when it turned, maybe no, when, when it turned, when it turned into a consumer thing, there was an extra day just for press. It was just the first day that was for press then. Yeah. So it wasn't that they added an extra day. It was that the first day was yeah. for press. Yeah. I mean, again, I, I never really pay attention, paid attention to it because it was more like, no, E3 is Tuesday through Thursday. Right. But yeah. you're in town from, at that point, Friday night, Friday Saturday night, yeah. morning, because yeah. everything's going on. Yeah. Because everything's everything. E3 got longer and longer and longer until, until and the pandemic. And we got more and more tired. So a couple, so the last big question that I have is whether the publishers who have left the LACC so are going to come back. So um, Xbox. Activision, EA. Yeah. So the, so, the really big players. Ubisoft so, was still there. Nintendo was still there. Right. But now... 
Warner Brothers. Bethesda had a huge presence there. If Microsoft just mo- continues everything at the Microsoft Theater, which is at LA room. Live, they don't have enough room. They got to, they got two. They have too many labels now. They are not going to have the room. They're going to have to. From my perspective, anyway, if they wanted to keep the consumers over in the Xbox Theater, the Microsoft Theater, sorry, mm-hmm. the former Nokia Theater. Um, that would make the most sense, quite frankly. And then, you know, keep the press stuff over at the LACC. Yeah. Because there's just going to be too much otherwise. Right. And again, costs are a concern. Wherever you are. You've got to worry about booth design. Yeah. Booth building. Yep. Shipping the booth. Shipping your people. Putting your people up. Feeding your people. Shipping your ships. Shipping your ships. If you have ships to ship. If you're World of Warships, then you have ships. Yes. Or you're going to ship your ships. You know, this ship smooching with this ship. Yeah, that's also what I was thinking. Yeah, well, there you go. Nailed it. So there are are a lot of costs for exhibiting at any one of these events. And it's tough. And how do you justify those costs when, you know, the virtual events have worked relatively well, even if they haven't been, you know, as noticeably effective, I guess, in Mm -hmm. terms of... Well, I captured this player's information. I captured mm-hmm. this player's engagement based on an interaction, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't know. How do you how do you gauge what's valuable versus what's not valuable in a world that's been topsy turvy for the last almost three years? The funny thing is, I think this is a conversation that has actually popped up over and over and over again. And this is a Matt Piscatella conversation, actually, and we're gonna talk about him in a second. In a good way, of course. That Everything kind of feeds in. It is really hard to distill the exact value and the exact lift that any one of these things in this large situation. Yeah, because you've got the digital showcases and you've got the in-person, you've got the media hands-on and interviews and all that. So it's really hard to kind of really drill down to this specific thing, this one specific event in a larger series of events netted me this right um so going back to something that we were just talking about the piece on our site is actually about what pax online needed to do better in its second year but in that piece is a discussion about costs for exhibiting and it also links out to the e3 2018 manual so you can kind of get a sense of how complicated it is to exhibit there the e3 2018 manual by the way not a public document it was something that was provided to us by a source that we vetted and then made available as part of that story yep Indeedy. So, um, I guess what we're trying to say is maybe, maybe we're going back to E3? Maybe. Maybe. We'll definitely be back at GDC. Yeah. GDC is a must. Yeah. I mean, GDC was really good for us for a lot of reasons. So we'll see what happens. Um, all right. Moving on. Uh, while we were gone, actually this happened after we came back, Matt Piscatella and NPD released the data for U.S. consumer spending in the video game industry for June, 2022. And folks, we're going to sum this up real quick. We expected a bit of a normalization, but not what is going on right now. Matt and I have actually had some offline conversations about this. And I think that if you take the war in Ukraine out of the mix and you take the inflation that kind of was related to everything that kind of spun out of that, we would still be doing okay. We would be ahead of pre-pandemic. But things are not looking as good right now. We are expecting a large cool off over the next couple of years. And there have been a couple of uh, other analyst reports out that kind of detail this. But Amanda, why don't you take us through some of what happened in June here in the U.S.? 
So U.S. consumer spending fell by 11% for June year over year to $4.3 billion. The first half spending dropped 10% to $26.3 billion. So subscription content was the only growth positive area in all of this. Again, like this is this is something so we talked about not, last month. This is not indicative of subscription content you know, removing retail content. And no, like, no, that's, that's not that's a what good we're, point. That's not what we're trying to say here. It's that subscriptions are a lower lift for a lot of households. And we have to think about this from an inclusion standpoint, right? Just like we have in the past, like our conversation with Kate Sanchez and, um, and her husband, Matt, you know, we, we had this really important conversation about pricing and how, you know, subscription services are just absolutely integral for encouraging better inclusion in this industry. So that's all this is. Yep. It is not subscriptions are taking over. This is just that subscriptions are a lower lift right now, economically speaking. Yes. And that, again, this is something that, that Matt and I talked about extensively. Matt Pescatella, I mean, not um, Kate's husband, Matt. We talked about this. I'll let Matt kind of lead the conversation when he is ready to talk about because we were talking about some stuff that he's working on. Um, but maybe it's, he'll come back on the show. Maybe I would love us. for him to to come back on the show and actually have this conversation because he and I did some spitballing and brainstorming that was really interesting in that conversation. It was cool. I read it. Yep. Uh, all right. So hardware was down eight percent for the month to three hundred and seventy one million dollars, and it's down nine percent for the first half of 2022. To $2.1 billion. PlayStation 5 had the highest dollar sales for June and the first half of the year. Switch led both time periods in unit sales. PlayStation 5 sales are up double digit percentage points for June year over year, indicating that Sony is getting yep, Sony's getting more PlayStation 5s into the channel. Really, really good. So let's talk about some software highlights. Let's start at the top. Elden Ring leads the month yet again, and it is the best-selling game of 2022 year to date. Mm-hmm. Lego Star Wars, the Skywalker Saga is holding on steady at number two. Yep. Mario Strikers Battle League was number three and the only new entrant in the top ten. And of course, remember with Nintendo, digital sales are not included. So it could be even higher than that potentially. Sorry, I was yawning. (laughs) (laughs) It's late here. What can I say? Um, MLB The Show 2022 dropped to number five from number four. Again, digital is not included for both Xbox and Switch. In this case, this was an interesting one because I think Xbox is usually included. They normally include So this was a weird one. Yeah. Uh, Overwatch is back in the top 10 at number five from number 57 last month, driven by the Overwatch 2 betas. Indeed. Mario Kart 8 jumped to number six from number eight. Digital not included. And Nintendo Switch Sports dropped to number seven from number three. And again, because it's a Nintendo title, digital is not included in that that calculation. Speaking of digital not included, (laughs) Kirby and the Forgotten Land dropped to number eight from number six. Final Fantasy VII Remake jumped to number nine from number 159 last month on the release of the game on Steam. Dang. Minecraft was at number 10, up from number 11. I'm pretty sure that all of the children in our household have been boosting Minecraft's numbers. Yes, seriously. (laughs) Uh, We have some new titles that were in the bottom half of the top 20, though. F122 was at number 12. Fire Emblem Warriors Three Hopes was at number 16. Digital not included. Sonic Origins was at number 17. And The Quarry from Supermassive which I think we'll be talking about a little later in this show. I'm so excited. I want to play this game so bad. Yeah, was it number 19? 
Some other notables in here, Monster Hunter Rise was at number 13 from number 30 due to the release of the Sunbreak expansion. And finally, Demon Slayer Kometsu no Yaiba, the Hinokami Chronicles, landed at number 14, up from number 56 due to the Switch launch. Brilliant. Now it's my turn. Let's yeah, talk about mobile. So remember remember how mobile has mostly been insulated, right? Like, well, it wasn't even last been- month. No, it's even worse this month. Yeah. Mobile declined 10.7%. Oh, I guess that is better than last yeah. month. It's better than May's 12.6%. Right. Now, what's interesting here is, though, is that the Google Play Store accounted for the entirety of the drop, and the App Store on iOS held almost flat at 0.16% growth. I think they had a 1% growth yeah. last month. So, so no, App it store, is worse. It, it well, is worse. on the App Store. Yeah. So, over no, but overall, like, it's just, it's not good. Yeah. Um, Diablo Immortal helped offset some of the bleeding here because Diablo Immortal is basically printing money. Which we which we expected. If you go back to our discussions. I have been talking about this for literal years. Yeah, I, I think this, this predates this show. It was on Game Daily where you were talking about yeah, how I, this was going to do it was gonna big, do, big numbers. It was going to do big, big numbers, big money. This is the reason why they made it. They, yeah. were, they were creating an entirely new way to experience Diablo. Now look. I'm a core Diablo player and will be going back to being a core Diablo player as soon as the workers are satisfied with how things are shaping up at Activision Blizzard. But I'm a core player. Diablo Immortal is not for me, right? It's not built for me. It's I, okay I just, that it's not built for me. Yeah, I'm not... I bounce off free-to-play games very quickly once the paywall hits, so... Yeah, they're just... And it, the things I've heard turn me off. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't sound like the kind of game that I would like. The mechanics are just not for me. But this does introduce Diablo to a whole different variety of players, which I think is still valid. Even if we don't agree with the decisions that they've made with, you know, in terms of the in-app purchases and the in-game economy, it's not for us. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, even though it's not for us, it's still making mad money. Yep. Uh, the top 10 earning mobile games for June 2022 were Candy Crush Saga, Roblox, Pokemon Go... Coin Master, Ebony, The King's Return. I'm waiting, my liege. We do it every month. (laughs) Royal Match, Diablo Immortal, Bingo Blitz, State of Survival, Zombie War, and Clash of Clans. Yep. Accessories dropped 15% to $176 million in June, down 14% for the first half of 2022. Interestingly, across the board on these drops... We are seeing that the what happened in June pretty much mirrors the total for... Uh, for the first half of 2022. Yeah. Uh, the PlayStation 5 DualSense Black was the best seller for June. Xbox Elite Series 2 leads the first half in dollar sales. And it is nice to see that it's not the PS4 DualShock 4. That's the lead. It was so It's weird. still so hard to find them, too. I know, it's so I difficult. Know. So, as a related tidbit here, DFC Intelligence published a report about PC gaming. So let's just roll into that real quick. So PC game sales were up 2% to $37 billion worldwide in 2021. However, the analyst group's forecast shows stagnation for the next three years. The good news is that this is still up 20% compared to pre-pandemic times. Unsurprisingly, the East is driven by service games, while pay-to-play, or premium games, are still (laughs) reigning supreme in the West. Now, a little piece about this that I think that you know, could add a little bit more context and color to PC gaming right now. Uh, Because of the crash in crypto 
we are going to see more GPUs available out in the wild. I don't know how long it has been since I've been able to find a decent, I don't know, GPU out there. In It's been years. It's finally happening, though, which is... It's nice. It's nice. And yeah. I mean, like, look, I mean, if you lost a bunch of money in the crypto crash, I'm really sorry. That super sucks. I don't wish anyone ill. I really don't. But at the same time, holy smokers. Yeah. I, I just... It's time. It's time to to let GPUs be back for people that are using them for, I don't know, video games. <laughs> yep, absolutely. <laughs> so there we go. That's NPD for, tw for June 2022. In addition to the DFC intelligence report, which was very, it was solid. Yep. All right. All right. It's time for investment interlude. We actually have a number of stories. Some of them we're going to blow through pretty quickly. But Manda, you're kicking us off with uh, the first of the, the bigger stories. This one was so weird. This happened while we were on vacation, I think. Yep. And so let's just talk. Let's just get into it. Unity has announced that it will be merging with Iron Source in a $4.4 billion deal that's expected to close in Q4, so later this year. Right. So one thing that I don't know if you grabbed, and stop me if you did, was the the uh, percentage of ownership. Oh, you did. Okay, go ahead. Yes. So according to the release on Business Wire, quote, Iron Source will merge into a wholly owned subsidiary of Unity via an all-stock deal, where each ordinary share of Iron Source will be exchanged for 0.1089 shares of Unity common stock. Once closed, current Unity stockholders will own approximately 73.5% and current Iron Source shareholders were also will own approximately twenty six point five percent of the combined company. So it's not quite a merger of equals, no. but this is definitely not a it's traditional not an, acquisition. It's not. This it's is still a merger. a merger. It's just not a merger of equals. Yes. Um, Iron Source is an affirmation that Unity is continuing to pivot away from being an engine slash platform for developers and towards being an all-in-one solution that's geared more and more towards mobile developers for free-to-play and in-app purchases infrastructures. Mm. So developers are uh, kind of mad. They're really frustrated with this announcement because Unity recently laid off a whole bunch of people. Right. And on top of it, you've got the tone deaf statements that came from CEO John Riccatello, where he pre where I believe he called developers. If they said, if you're not thinking about monetization early in the process, you're a fucking idiot. Kind of. Yeah. 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 It was it was really pointed. And I mean, I don't expect anything less from Riccatello con considering his tenor, uh, tenure rather, at, uh, at EA. So one of the things that kind of popped up, and, and you dug into this a little I bit. I did, yeah. Was when, when people saw this, the response was, Unity are merging with malware. So I went and dug into this a little bit, and there was a, there was a really good article on this over on GI.biz from James Batchelor. So big shouts to James Batchelor for this one. It, it's actually referring to Iron Source's first product, Install Core. So, quote, this is like taken from uh, the GI Biz. I don't know what's going on upstairs, by the way. I'm pretty sure. That's Viv. I'm pretty sure Vivian is like chasing people around. So if you hear tiny little footsteps, just know that that's the tiny little human in the house. Um, Install Core was an, was an installation program for internet-based applications that was launched in 2010 but within a few years, it had been blocked by software such as Malwarebytes and even Microsoft Windows Platform for installing unwanted programs. Ew. 
gross. gross. So it was. So it actually was considered malware. Yeah, it's a Ryan Brown. Ew, gross. Response. Ew. Uh, gross. Oh my god. Gross. Ew, David. Gross. Yeah. So anyway, that's what happened there. Um, understandably, developers are really frustrated with both Riccatello's tone deaf comment about monetization. And listen, I I said this on Twitter, and I will say this here: if Unity wants long term success with developers, they need to install a CEO that understands development from an indie studio's perspective. Mm-hmm. Somebody that understands business absolutely that can steward the company into the future. I have no idea what's going on upstairs with those kids are acting absolutely banana pants. Um, so yeah, I but the the big challenge is that they went public. And there's absolutely no way that they're going to move backward. Yeah. Right? And because they IPO'd. And that means that everyone in the C-suite and on the board has a fiduciary responsibility to shareholders. And that's the only thing that's going to matter now. All right. I have chopped all the children's legs off so there will be no more stomping. Wow. That's not (laughs) what happened. It is totally what happened. You don't know. You weren't there. Yes, I was there. Oh, okay. Absolutely not. We just... Very gently ask the children to go play upstairs. Yes. Uh, all right, next up, 505 Games Parent Digital Bros, based Bruh. in Italy, Bruh. 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 has announced a new indie-focused publishing branch called Hook. Ooh. The label has three announced titles so far. Unholy is a first-person horror game from Duality Games. Okay. Mad Shot is a roguelike from Overflow. Okay. And Kingdom of the Dead is a first-person horror survival game from Dirigo Games. So Interesting. I could be, I could be into all of that. Yeah. Yeah. All that sounds, that sounds pretty interesting. Digital Bros is really interesting and watching some of the moves they've made has been. Yeah. 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 I think 505's profile has lifted up. Yeah. And we're still, we're still kind of, you know. I'm still a little miffed about the handling of the, of control. We're still miffed about control, but you know, we're, we'll get over it eventually. All right. Not, and, not control itself, just the way they handled the no, new gen releases. No, there was the new gen releases. Honestly, yeah. just go back and listen to the episodes. I don't even remember which ones they were, but I think it was, <laughs> was like 2020. It was yeah. like three, it was like three different episodes where we were just mad. Yeah, I think it was early 2021. Was it 2021? Yeah, because the consoles came out in 2020. Oh, okay. Yeah. Could be. Whatever. Yeah. I don't, you know what? Time is a flat circle. Yeah. So I grouped these together just now. Like I moved stuff around just now. <laughs> when we were up in Toronto, see, before we went on vacation, we took a little trip to Toronto. Amanda was on a panel about mergers and acquisitions oh, at nice. Pocket Gamer Connects. And one of the things that came up on that panel was Eastern company investment in Western content. Yeah. So the first one is NetEase, which you have covered a number of times. I have indeed. NetEase has invested an unspecified amount in Polish VR studio Something Random. The news comes from Something Random CF- CFO Piotr Gogas on LinkedIn, actually. Yeah, that's where this was posted, Yep. oddly enough. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. The studio is currently working to release two VR titles. It's interesting. Also seeing Eastern Studios get more involved in VR is interesting. Well, I don't know. Maybe, again, it's got to come down to the lift, right? Like, I mean... Right. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm i just... It's always interesting to me when I see people invest in VR. I know. Because the VR was your beat for a long time. I know. And I don't think it has... No. I'm going to correct this. <laughs> I know it has not had the market penetration that was promised 
Yeah, that's right. Laugh, man, because I said the word penetration. <laughs> I'm Jesus. ridiculous. Sorry. God, that's usually my job. <laughs> uh, next up, Netcom Games, which you may remember from the summer showcases. There was that game called Showa American Story. Oh, that was the 80s game. The post-apocalyptic 80s game. Yeah. Oh, man, that was awesome. Uh, So that studio, that publisher, that company, has raised $8 million led by Galaxy Interactive. And the funds are going to be used for R&D and the opening of a new studio in the U.S. Oh, interesting. They're located in China. The the headquarters is in China. Okay. Uh, Kimmy Lee will be leading the team from new offices in Manhattan. Oh, wow. Yep. She was previously with Westgate Games. I looked into them a little bit. Uh, Their mission is to help East Asian developers bring their games to a Western market. So this is a really good fit. I'm I'm very interested in uh, finding out more. Uh, She seems really, really excellently positioned for this role. They're right in our backyard, or we're right in their backyard, I guess, because it's Manhattan. And we're Jersey. And we're Jersey. Yeah, that's how that works, dear. So, Yeah. Uh, Almost nobody in games moves to Manhattan. No, I mean, there. there's a rock star business, because Take-Two is there. Yeah. But it's not like anything made, like, Avalanche has a studio in New York. Um, I know there are some folks from Private Division who are in New York. Because yeah, Take-Two's in because New York. Because Take-Two's in New York. And there's an indie scene. It's no, no, in- no, the indie scene, don't get me wrong. It's got a healthy indie scene. Don't get right. me wrong. Because, like, I, I went and I dug into that and it yeah, was supposed yeah. to be one of the last pieces i wrote for game daily but who was that daunting and that didn't end up coming to fruition yes anyway yes oh man you get the good one. Oh, i oh okay all right buckle up folks phase clan has gone public via a spac merger all right so it's been a while <laughs> since we've talked about spacs and pipes there's no pipe here, though. I mean, if I there is, no it, pipe if there was, it like it wasn't a big piece of the press release. Uh, so, for those of you who have not heard us talk about this before, a SPAC is a special purpose acquisition company. Essentially, what happens is you've got a uh, VC firm that creates a company that goes public. It IPOs. Yeah, and it's is a shell company publicly. essentially. Right. It is a it is a public company with no purpose other than to find a comp a private company to merge with, and then take them public. So this company was B. Riley Principal 150 Merger Group, <laughs> which has now been renamed to Phase Holdings, Inc. Y'all, it is not going well. It is not. It is not going well. And listen, we we understand that the early days of a stock are not normally indicative of the overall health of where the stock is going to go. Right. Especially however, when it comes to SPACs. Especially but... when it comes to SPACs. However... The share price for the company dropped 30% since opening with the market on July 20th. So the merger was this morning. In fact, they rang the bell at NASDAQ. And then had their bell rung. And had, oh, it's so good. It's so good. (laughs) So, I mean, obviously we want to take the long view here. But um, I was talking to uh, Julia today, Mm -hmm. um, whose last name is slipping me right right now. Okay. Okay. Help me. I, you're talking about Loudmouth Julia yes. on Twitter? Yes. Isn't her last name Alexander? Yes, it is. See, my brain is not working today, folks. We're still going to... We're, we're planning on having Julia on here at some point yes. whenever Netflix does their next major money move. Well, I mean, there was a, there was a money move yesterday where they lost nearly a million. They announced We're not lost. talking about negative money moves. We're talking about moving towards gaming. Yes. Uh, Julia's fantastic. She knows her shit. 
And um, she and I were talking a little bit today. You know, this is this is a tough one. Um, you know, when you have a, an esports organization like FaZe, and by the way, they are not the first uh, esports organization to go public. They may nope. be the first by way of SPAC, but I can't. I even believe they that. are. I think they're this. They're the first via SPAC, but they are certainly not the first to go. Public. No, no, no. In fact, uh, Dixerto. Because we were talking about this in in our Discord chat. I used to cover I used to cover this over on yeah. Game Daily. So, uh, but if you're curious about other public esports organizations, Dexerto has a a list. They actually had someone wrote a, a story about it was all very of the, helpful, very about all the public esports organizations. So you've got when you when you launch a SPAC and it goes public. You are essentially giving investors the general idea of the type of company you're looking general for. General idea. No general idea. Uh, and in this case, it may have been something like, we're looking for a gaming company to take public. Yeah, exactly. Or a tech company to take public. So what happens is you've got investors who don't understand what FaZe Clan is and how they operate. And you've got people who get skittish and we're like, all right, I'm out. Like, I, this isn't what I signed on for. This isn't anything I have a lot of trust in. I'm going to sell off. Now... That doesn't mean it's not going to start climbing, but this is not what you want to see on day one of trading. No, it's, it's not like I, like I said, we're both cognizant. This is not indicative of the long-term health of this particular stock. However, it's still not great. It's not great. It was a terrible first day. It was, but you know, what's not terrible. What's not terrible. This next story, Mike. Ah, uh, virtual tabletop platform Roll20, which is one of a few really good ones. Roll is another really good one. In fact, uh, we just haven't had the time to follow up on a very interesting opportunity there. So you've got Roll20, you've got Roll, you've got Foundry, mm-hmm. and now you've got, uh, I believe that World of Darkness is kind of launching their own type thing. There's some hints that they have D&D been Beyond. talking about it for literal years. Do you know how I know this? How do you know? Because I wrote about it literal years ago for Gamesbeat. Yeah, and then you've got uh, now with D and D Beyond fully owned by Wizards of the Coast. There's some hints about that. Paizo's potentially working on something, but this is really cool. This actually positions Roll Twenty very well. They are merging with one bookshelf. Now you might not have heard of them, but if you are interested. In the tabletop space, you probably have heard of Drive Through RPG, mm-hmm. and you've probably heard of the Dungeon Masters Guild. Indeed. So both of those are owned by one bookshelf. So some new things that are coming from the merger: you're going to be able to import PDFs to Roll Twenty directly. That's awesome. It is. Now you have a storage quote uh, quota on Roll Twenty, but eventually. One bookshelf libraries, and they also have one for World of Darkness, like a page for World of Darkness, mm-hmm. and they've got one for, uh, I think they've got a Pathfinder one as well. I really appreciate how Mike is trying to sell me on this and remind me that I love World of Darkness games. I don't need to be reminded. I know. I already love them. It's all right. I bought us the Hunter book. We were supposed to play on vacation. It you Didn't know, end up working didn't out, up but working that's okay. Out. We're going to play. We're going to play. play. Uh, so they're going to be integrated in such a way that it won't count against your storage quotas. That's helpful. Yeah. So on Kit Law, will continue as CEO following his promotion from president of Roll20 earlier this year. One bookshelf CEO, Steve Weick, uh, who co-founded White Wolf. I know. Yes. I know him. I know. He's going to join Roll20's board here. and the executive team. No terms were disclosed. Very, very cool. Indeed. Much more interesting than, you know, Sony 
Sony stuff. Um, although the first one's okay. We have two Sony stories right now because Sony has closed two acquisitions this week. The $3.6 billion acquisition of Bungie and the acquisition of Jade Raymond's Haven Studios. Yes. That's kind of cool. Yes. I like that. This next Sony, this next Sony situation, I, I don't, I don't even know what to do with. Yeah. Uh, why don't you walk us through? All right. So speaking of Sony, the company announced this week that it is purchasing esports tech platform Repeat.gg. So you might recall that Sony is now the co-owner of fighting game tournament Evo. So it's an interesting synergy, but hear me out. There's yeah. more. Repeat allows players to create tournaments that are scalable and automated and available for all for those of all skill levels. While no terms were disclosed, Repeat did say in a blog post on its site that, quote, with Sony's support, Repeat will have the opportunity to scale and create esports events for millions of players. Our goal is to deliver some truly unique experiences at a scale we would not be able to without Sony Interactive Entertainment support. And Repeat will not be abandoning games on non-Sony platforms. So from a tech perspective, okay, fine. It makes a lot of sense to have you know, scalable tournaments that you can bake into your first party games. Sure. Which ones? Well, that's... Destiny? <laughs> no. 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 They don't have any... So that's the thing, right? When you purchase when you purchase tech, it's usually to integrate it into your existing portfolio. Unfortunately for Sony, Sony doesn't have a portfolio that supports this tech. Although they said they are planning on launching a number of live service games. Well, and I know when we I, talked about uh, that, but them saying that they're planning on launching a number of live service games and those live service games actually being successful and popular enough in order to warrant something like repeat.gg, mm -hmm. that's the thing that's a bit of a disconnect for me right now. Yeah, we'll have to see what happens here because this one is kind of a, a little bit of a head scratcher except for the Evo co-ownership so the you've got evo, this esports thing going but i mean on. like but evo is in person it's not digital right yeah so that to me unless they're going to be creating a digital component of evo which could be really interesting i don't know man i don't really i don't really see how this is part of sony's strategy but Again, Sony's going to do what Sony's going to do. Absolutely. All right, moving on. Spotify has announced its acquisition of Hurdle, H-E-A-R-D-L-E, -E -E, which is like Wordle for music. Nothing much is changing, and the game will still be free to everyone. I actually played it a couple times. I just, I'm not that very, I'm not that good at it. Uh, so I just abandoned it. Uh, now, though, when you finish a game of Hurdle, whether you win or lose, you'll be able to listen to the entire song on Spotify. Oh, that's kind of nice. Yeah, so that, that integration is pretty cool. Yeah, it's a decent integration. Yep. So what else is going on over in the UK? Ah, the UK Competition and Markets Authority is looking into the Microsoft Activision acquisition. The inquiry was launched on July 6th with public comment period ending on July 20th, which is uh, today. Oh, nice. Yeah. A phase one decision about whether the acquisition will have a substantial impact on competition is due by September 1st, 2022. And this is how I was saying all that time ago... Hey, we're not out of the woods yet. Yeah, even if things fly here, they might not they fly elsewhere. To, they have to make it through international <coughs> scrutiny too. Yep. All right. On to our last investment story. After investing a 30.7% stake in 2021, Nordisk has acquired Supermassive Games, the studio behind Cult Horror Darling Until Dawn, personally one of my very favorite games. 
the Dark Pictures Anthology, and more recently, The Quarry. Supermassive is Nordisk's third wholly owned studio. Nordisk has been investing in games since 2018 with their first purchase of Avalanche Studios Group. Mm. They have majority and minority stakes in Star Stable Entertainment, Flashbulb Games, Raw Fury. Which we covered. We did. Red Omoto and Mercury Steam. I'm a big Mercury Steam fan. Uh, Castlevania Lords of Shadow was excellent. The Order, which... Man, everybody gets so mad at The Order, but it was kind of a cool game. It was. It was kind of a cool it game. Was. It had a lot of really interesting concepts, even if the narrative didn't quite gel, especially towards the end, where I was like, mm, what kind of a game am I playing again? Yeah. Um. So here's why this this is important. Nordisk has been doing this for a number of years now, and I remember when I first covered it, I was like, why is a film group paying more attention uh, to video games? Mm -hmm. Well, because we're seeing a lot of Swedish companies making massive money moves over in Sweden and investing in a number of different studios all over the world. It's important because I think... But I don't know if, I'm not sure if Supermassive is Nordisk's first or largest investment in a studio outside of Sweden. Oh, good call. Yeah, I actually did not, I didn't even think about looking into that until just now. So I'll have to take a look at that. And, you know, you can follow Virtual Economy on Twitter and I'll tweet about it. Awesome. And now it's time for a break. Virtual Economy is an F-squared initiative, and along with pro bono business consulting for up-and-coming developers, it's a way we are working to give back to the community that has already given us so much. To find out more about F-squared and the services we can provide, including pitch prep, media training, mock reviews, and business strategy guidance, visit our website at fsquared.biz. And we are back. Hey, Mike, what time is it? It's time for Quick Hits beautiful oh thank you i'll take us through the first one. Oh, i get to go first all right tencent has announced that it is closing the mobile version of its chinese steam competitor Wii game oh my gosh that is like i that's right? mind-blowing yeah the move which will also see the shuttering of the version of Wii game inside the wechat app is due to quote changes in business development strategy as reported by the south china morning post oh yeah mm-hmm the PC version will remain operational, but it does not seem to be performing up to expectations either. And this comes right after Tencent shut down its Twitch-alike streaming service, Penguin Esports. Gee, I wonder why this is all happening. Could it be because the Department of Propaganda yes. continues to fight yes. against video games yes. in China? Also, yes. This is another thing I've been covering since I 2018. All right, let's get into it. We got some. We got a bunch of milestones in here. Fall Guys free to play hit. 50 million players in the first two weeks. Good for those big jelly beans. Yep. Monster Hunter Rise has now hit more than 10 million units shipped, with the new Sunbreak expansion reaching the 3 million units shipped mark in just two weeks. The interesting note here is that mega expansions can still work for the right game. Well, it really does depend on the audience, though. The audience is everything, and yes. the player is everything. Mm-hmm. Resident Evil 2 has shipped now shipped more than 10 million units globally. Right, that's two Capcoms in a row. I, I feel like Capcom has really hit their stride. Yeah, but we've been also saying that since 2019. Yeah, I'm not sure about Exoprimal. I don't know about that I don't know one. about Exoprimal. We'll see. I don't it's know. just a weird name. I know Dragon's Dogma 2 is going to sell like 
proverbial hotcakes. I'm pretty sure because Wout is going to buy at least a million of them. Flap cakes. (laughs) Flap cakes. Yes. All right. Chivalry 2 has now sold 2 million copies after the game launched on Steam. Uh, Ghost of Tsushima has moved nearly 10 million copies since launching two years ago. That's a good, that's a good note there. That's a, I gotta get, I gotta go play some more Ghost of Tsushima. You know what else we need to play more of? What? TMNT Shredder's We do! We've been really having fun playing that with our daughter. Yes. Tiny Vivi, she just loves it. She, what did she play as? Leo? Was she playing as Leo? I think she was playing as Leo. I was playing as April. more of a Mikey. Yeah, that's true. She kind of is. Was I playing as Donnie or was I playing as Raph? I think you're playing as Raph because oh. James is playing as Donnie. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Because that's it. That James loves Donatello. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. So anyway, Shredder's Revenge has sold more than one million copies. Really, really happy for those folks. Like everybody involved in that. It's just, it's so exciting. Uh, I don't do a whole lot of collector's editions anymore, although I did just buy like pre-order like three of them. I did the God of War one because <laughs> I want to uh, mount their Mjolnir on the wall. Yeah, and, in our new office. Yeah, um, I grabbed the AI Somnium Files in Nirvana uh, collector's edition because that one seemed like really well priced to have the the figure in there. That's nice. I like that one. And then I did the big limited run Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles one because it comes with the Playmates Shredder. It's so good. Also, I don't know if you saw Danny Pena tweeting and on Insta with the uh, limited edition Xbox Series S that he designed for Shredder's Revenge. I did. It's so pretty. Yeah, it's really, really beautiful. Yep. All right, wrapping this up. It Takes Two has sold 7 million copies. Very nice. I loved that game. It was shockingly wonderful and cute, even though there was some really traumatic moments in that game where Mm. I'm like, that's not parenting. What is that? I don't know what that is. Don't make your daughter cry. That's not okay. All right, Amanda, walk us through the next one. Hooray! The Game Developers of Color Expo has begun to announce its speaker lineup. Anyone that knows me knows that this is one of the very few conferences that I absolutely refuse to miss. We've included the full list of speakers in our show notes. A link to them anyway. Yeah, a link to them. Because I don't want to like list everybody out. Right. Um, So there's a link to them in our show notes, but here are some exceptional humans presenting that you don't want to miss. Danny LaLaunders will be hosting a conversation about crowdfunding. So she's going to be going into the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, Eli Harris will be talking about being a voice actor in gaming. We had a chance to meet him. He's in Superfuse. Really great guy. Yeah, he's super cool. Ren will be discussing avoiding stigma and stereotypes in horror games about mental illness. So important. So important. I think that this is going to be, it's unmissable. If you love horror, go watch this talk. Yep. And our friend, Son M, and Son is making love sure, among like a billion other things. Mm -hmm. Son's amazing. Um, is talking about categorizing your game to succeed at pitching or and marketing your game. So making sure that you're putting your game in the proper box. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are more speaker announcements to come. You can follow GDoc on Twitter and keep an eye on the speaker page that we linked in the show notes. Absolutely. Next up, Asmodee and Netflix have announced a partnership that will see three new tabletop games based on Netflix shows. Ozark is a territory control game for two to five players. So there's a squid game board game. 
uh, which features six games from the show, and it's for three to six players, each of whom will control a team of 12 contestants. I'm still not sure how this is going to work. I don't even know how that will work. And finally, Stranger Things Attack of the Mind Flayer is a hidden role game for four to ten players. Now that that's going to be cool. Yeah, each of these is going to retail for about $25, which is a really good price point, considering they are licensed, very popular, licensed games based on popular Netflix properties. But you know what? It's 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 really interesting because um, Ravensburger has done such a great job of licensing games and then putting them out into retail for reasonable prices yeah. as well. So Ravensburger, if you are not familiar, uh, they did the amazing Jaws game. Like, I love, <gasps> love that, that game. game. Love that game. Uh, so the Jaws game is theirs and Horrified is theirs too. Yeah. yeah, Disney Villainous. Disney Villainous is theirs and also Marvel Villainous. And then there's a new Villainous, com- uh, Star Wars Villainous is coming. Anyway, Disney villainous. Anyway, Robinsburger is great. Uh, so just remember that Embracer, I don't think that deal has closed yet, unless I missed it. Uh, I don't think it has. Is purchasing Asmodee, which owns a bazillion game development labels, including Fantasy Flight, which itself has Star Wars license and Lord of the Rings license and Marvel. Uh, they've done uh, a dice game with, they did an X-Men dice game. They've done Marvel Champions, and they also own the miniature studio that makes Marvel Crisis Protocol. There you go. So so there is that. That is that. In fact, CD Projekt stock has slid under 100 Zlotny. It's Zlotty. Zlotty? Z-L-O-T, not Y. Z-L-O, not T. Z, not L-O-T-Y. In English, I think it's, it's Z-L-O-T-Y. It, oh, I thought it's, it was. Ha- I thought it had there's no end. there's no end in there. Zlati. Okay, that one I oh, I go. always mess that up. Though. I always mess it up. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I messed it up. I don't mean to. I'm trying. Um, which is which translates to twenty one dollars and thirteen cents from a high of four hundred and twenty four zloty or ninety dollars U S in the run up to Cyberpunk 2077's rather disastrous release. Yeah, we've been watching this slide now. Everything is depressed right now. The entire yeah, market is depressed, right? and we are in a twisted. bear market. Don't get it twisted. It's a bear market. That was literally our last episode. As mm-hmm. in a farewell from Pride Month, we are having a bear market. Yes. So you know, because you see, I am a bear. Yes, you are. Uh, yeah. Moving on. Moving on. Uh, EA has announced that its new skate game is not, in fact, called Skate 4. It's just Skate. And it's going to be a free-to-play live service game. We'll see how this goes. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, there's, of course, a big question because someone said it's like, well, just because it's a free-to-play live service game doesn't mean it doesn't have a single-player mode. It's like, yeah, but if it's live service and they shut the whole thing off, everything goes bye-bye. Yeah, that's that's a tough one. And like live service is such a diff- it's so difficult to preserve as well. Right. And pain. here's the thing, if if and when that game does go away at some point, you can still go back and play Skate 3. Oh. On your Xbox Series X right no, that's now. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. All right, and another piece of EA news. EA has announced that its longtime CE- CTO Ken Moss is departing the company after 8 years. His role is going to be split up with um, Maria Radlovic-Nastic taking on the creative and development role, which is focused on creative tools and solutions for developers. And Matt Tomlinson will take on the enterprise functions like live services, player experience, ops, and innovation planning. So um, Ken Moss was actually, I think that Brightman, like James Brightman, who was my former colleague over at Game Daily, 
um, interviewed Ken Moss a number of years ago talking about the streaming service um, that EA was planning for... Project Titan? Yeah, I think so. It was Project something. I don't remember exactly what it was called, but they were working on the technology for it like back, way back in 2018, and we haven't heard anything about it since that initial conversation. Yeah, it's interesting. So speaking of innovation planning, we shall see. Yes. Not I'm, sure if we'll ever I'm see I'm looking that. this up now because I think it was called Project Titan. I don't know. Yep. Yep. But we should probably move yep. along anyway. Ah, bummer. All right, I'll look it up. We'll I, tweet about it. I'll tweet about it. Uh, Bruce Straley tweeted today, uh, he was the game director on Uncharted 4 and The Last of Us. Remember, he left Naughty Dog and the industry in 2017. I remember He was this. burnt out, yeah, tired, was needed to go. Take some time. Uh, so he did. Yes, he did. And he is back with a new team called Wildflower Interactive. That's now, one of the things he said in the video, it was a really charming, very personable video. He said, like, he had this idea for a game and he couldn't get it out of his head. And he put together a group of people and it just it started to turn into something that needed a real full team and a company and and all that. And they have a partner. They have not announced who that partner is, though, which I think is very interesting. Um, But he says that the studio is doing things the, quote, right way. They're going to be inclusive, equitable, and collaborative. Hooray! And they're fully remote. They're actually looking for a COO right now in a fully remote role. Weird. I know. Uh, The studio's website says, quote, we're making smallish, creatively charged, uniquely stylized games that explore the possibilities of our medium. And we're building a small, open hearted team of creators that want to improve their skills and still lead a good life outside of work. That's really nice. I I think this is really interesting coming from someone who. Open hearted. Yeah. Someone who came from leading leading development of two enormous triple a games at a massive first party studio and that was famed for their horrible crunch practices turns around and says i want to do things the quote right way and i love it i I really i I hope we love the growth yes and i hope that the execution matches the intent because i think it sounds wonderful it really does sound wonderful there are not many people in the game industry that talk about being open-hearted so I, i think that's really beautiful um, okay, so the UK government has finished up an investigation into loot boxes that has been ongoing for the past two years. The Department for Digital Culture, Media, and Sports will not regulate loot boxes right now, but has urged the industry to self-regulate. Why? Legislating this would put a lot of new pressure on the government's gambling commission and potentially create a chilling effect on the industry. In other words, it's the coward's way out of a practice it knows mm. is bad and abuses gambling tendencies. We'll see what happens if the industry doesn't fix the problem itself. And look, we've been talking about this for a long time. Loot boxes are not the way. This is not the way. No. Right? And we're going to have to see some pivots, especially with regards to Ultimate Team, because Ultimate Team has to be one of the big components here. Yes, absolutely. It's The whole thing is... It ain't good. It ain't good. It ain't and, good. you know, the... Uh, like, I can understand why the UK made the decision it did, but this is it. This is last chance, yeah. I think. This is... It also, it was Project Atlas. Oh, it was Atlas. That's See, I knew it was, was. something that, that conveyed, like, huge scope, obviously. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And also, we were just watching 12 Monkeys, which is why Titan was stuck in my head. That's true. Yeah. Rewatching it for a third time. Yes. It's worth it. Absolutely. Yes. I know Terry Metalis doesn't listen to this show, but uh, we love you, Terry. 
Shout out to Terry. Shout out to Terry. Uh, Nintendo has entered into a deal to acquire Dynamo Pictures, which it is renaming to Nintendo Pictures. Oh. The new subsidiary will help adapt Nintendo's game portfolio into movies. Dynamo has also done mocap work for Death Stranding, Persona 5, and they did post-production work on Metroid Other M. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah, that could be really great. Yes. Um, You know what else is kind of cool? What's kind of cool? Microsoft and Discord have announced the integration of Discord voice chat onto Xbox console platforms, beginning with access for insiders. Yeah, so if you're part of the insider program, I believe you can start accessing that today. That's really cool. This will make it extremely easy for players engaging in cross-platform play to sync up across PC and Xbox. That honestly has been a big challenge for us because we do a lot of cross-play, especially with our friends that don't have PCs and aren't, you know, they have Xboxes, but they don't have PCs. Yep. So this is really cool. So to use it, you'll need to link your Xbox and Discord accounts via the try Discord voice on Xbox option in the parties and chats menu. Yeah, you'll need to read. It's re- a little hidden. Yeah, you'll need to re-authenticate even if you previously linked them to have your Xbox games show up in Discord. Yeah, it's a little different. The This integration, I think, is, is a little more holistic. Yeah, and they probably need you to accept a brand new set of TOS stuff. I'd imagine yep. so. Now, you might be wondering what happened to the May 2021 announcement that Discord and PlayStation were planning to integrate. We're still waiting for that to come to fruition, but this step hopefully means that we won't have to wait too long. When it does launch, it will create a seamless way for full um, cross-platform titles to bring your party voice chat together. Finally. This is really exciting. And it's also huge for Discord, which, as you may recall, was trying to shop itself around, see who might be interested in purchasing them. And ultimately, Ultimately. Microsoft was really interested, but it seems like Discord has decided that it's going to head toward an IPO. I actually think that in with hindsight being 2020 and knowing where the market is right now, they probably made a mistake. They probably, probably should have taken. Although I'm wondering if the Activision deal would have been would have been something feasible under regulatory stuff. If uh, if if Microsoft had purchased Discord. Yeah, I don't know. I wonder. I'm not oh, sure. that's, a, that's another timeline. It's a, yeah, it's another timeline. That's right. Yep. It's a, it's the chaos timeline. Yep. And shifting to Sony, we have two stories to round out quickets. Sony has secured a dismissal in the antitrust suit filed against it after removing PSN codes from sale at retail. The plaintiffs failed to make a compelling argument in the complaint about digital pricing with respect to physical media. They argued that digital prices uh, are more expensive than physical media, which it's just not not necessarily the case mm-hmm. um it really depends i would say that physical media has a lot of other com- a lot of other considerations you've got wholesalers and retailers you've got uh channel flooding uh, so uh, there, there's this whole thing you know around physical that that makes it really tough to align that additionally the court sees that psn and the ps4 and 5 hardware is inextricably linked users cannot switch to another storefront like they could for instance in the Wolfire versus valve case right. which was the uh, the suit that uh, is now back on after the complaint was revised. Where there, was some, there was some smart revisions. It, well, there was some smart revisions. So essentially, because you could, for instance, go purchase a game on potentially on EGS or GOG, that option is not available to you on a console platform, on a closed hardware platform like the PlayStation platforms or the Xbox platforms. You can't just pick another storefront. Mm-hmm. So that they are, you can't separate PSN from the hardware. Right. So the plaintiffs do have the opportunity to amend their complaint. They have 30 days, but for now, this is dead. I won't say it's it, there's no chance of them amending, but I think that it's very unlikely that given the magnitude of problems that the courts found with this case, 
that this is likely to be revived. Right. But we'll see. We will have to see. And finally, Sony has announced a new loyalty program called PlayStation Stars. This seems similar to the Xbox Rewards program. Um, It's free to join, and there are participation-based and competition-based campaigns. So essentially what's going to happen is there'll be a thing like, uh, play this game in this week. Play any game on PlayStation, play right. any first party game, play any whatever game, and right. you get you get points. Yeah, it's, and then there are other it's ones like that Xbox are, rewards, right? And there's another one where it's like tournaments, like whoever has the highest score. Or one of the examples they gave was you're the first person to get a platinum in this game in your time zone, so you I get. I really enjoy the way that you say tournament. Tournament. You said tour. What Tur- tournament? Oh, it is tor- tournament. Tor- tournament. Tournament or tournament. Depends on how I say it. Depends on the context. Depends on the mo- the moment, the moment to moment. That was but it's just really all, it, enjoyable. But it's orange, folks. It's not orange. It's orange. It's orange. It is. You just said it. It's, no, it's not You're, orange. It's and you orange. just said it again. It's orange. It's orange. You it's just said orange. it twice. You said orange twice. Why are you so bad at this? You're so bad at accents. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. All right. So anyway, you'll earn these loyalty points, which can be redeemed for uh, PSN wallet and PS store funds. You can also earn points for purchases from the PlayStation Store. There are also digital collectibles you can earn. And of course, everyone, and by everyone, I'm also tagging me and Mike in on this. We read that as um, NFT and big blinking red lights. Yeah. But uh, Sony quickly dispelled this in interviews that dropped at the same time as the blog post. But here's the question, folks. Here's the real question. Why in the ever-loving fuck was that not in the blog post? Yeah, this is a really weird one because those interviews were were like, definitely preceded. Those are people who who had you know opportunity to talk and interview and get their stories ready. So they dropped alongside the announcement because all of this stuff dropped at the same time. And of course, you had all of the these interviewers, and it happened in multiple interviews. Say, wait a minute, are these NFTs? And they're like, no, no, no. Of course, they're not NFTs. You it's can't not, of them. course. You can't it's not trade of them. course. And yeah, at, at this juncture, no, it's definitely because not I'm of telling you, th- all of the comments I saw were like, "You're getting into NFTs? Fuck you!" Yeah, exactly. Like people are gonna, people are going to very vehemently be like, "No, we're done." Yeah. Oh, hey, this one slid in, and I didn't even get a chance to put it in the show notes, but uh, <laughs> but I got I love it when this happens. I got a press release today from like this evening from Square Enix about Final Fantasy VII 25th anniversary stuff that's happening at San Diego Comic Con. Mm-hmm. And they have uh, a, a card packs, digital card packs that they're selling. There's also uh, a cloud figure. Okay. And there are two versions of it. There's the cloud figure, and then there's the enhanced one, which comes with a one? digital version of the figure and a card. Oh, I don't love that. Nope, it's an they're NFTs. <gasps> Well, we knew that. I mean, was we coming, knew it though, was coming. We knew that was coming. That was right. Like, I th- I might have forwarded it, it to you, and and but uh, yeah, we 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 kind of knew that was. coming. I, I don't. I, yeah, no, definitely saw that coming about a mile away. Yeah. Right. Oh, oh, and those were quick hits. And now it's the labor report. Now it's the labor report. All right, kicking off the labor report today is a great find by Polygon's Nicole Carpenter. The lawsuit filed against Nintendo and its hiring firm, Aston Carter, which we covered back in April, if you'll recall, has been amended. The complaint now is explicit that employees of Aston Carter were told not to talk about unionization based on directives from Nintendo. So as a reminder, the suit was filed by an employee alleging that they were fired for supporting unionization. 
The complaint also alleges that Nintendo and Aston Carter participated in union-busting activities and surveilled the employee. As a result, the NLRB is investigating. I have no idea what this last is. I don't is. know what is going on with that. Oh, that was from, I don't know why it's there, but that was actually from the Nintendo thing. Okay. Well, uh, so yeah, so going back real quick, if you were wondering how much the deal was for uh, the new Nintendo pictures, it was 34.5 million yen, approximately $250,000. Why is that down there? I, I'm telling you, stuff got, it, something happened. Something happened. It's, I'm Windows 11 now. Something happened. <laughs> Are you besotting on me? I'm besotting on you. Oh, no. My brain, my brain had a blue brain screen. Brain had a blue screen. So that's fun. That's neat. Uh, all right. Uh, this was interesting. A report from Digiday reveals that esports reporting and media jobs are in peril. In addition to the near entire shutdown of enthusiast gaming owned Upcomer, Digiday reports that Inven Global has laid off nearly all of its editorial staff. Inven Global, which is an English language operation owned by a Korean company, has been covering esports since 2016, and Inven will now pivot hard to brand consulting, which I read as advertorial. It's advertorial. Yeah. Uh, uh, this is the collision of the current economic climate, the esports bubble, and the stress placed on journalism by VCs that are demanding outsized and unreasonable returns. We've talked about that over and over and over again. How Not many just overs again? So many overs, and we've talked about it a lot on Twitter. But Digiday also reports that the Google al algorithm changes in May have depressed traffic to esports publications across the board. Dang. Uh, this is a quote from an Inven staffer. Uh, and I think it sums it up really well. Quote, media literacy is at an all-time low, in my opinion. People are getting their news from social media, and they don't particularly care where that information is coming from. Well, that's fair. Yep. Yep. That's oh, absolutely fair. Um, I'm, I'm, I see what story we're talking about next. <sighs> okay. So, let's let's just jump right into it, shall we? Let's talk about GameStop. All yep. right. GameStop has laid off a number of employees following an announcement that it will be splitting its stock four to one. Okay, let's My, talk. Let's talk about this real let, quick. Let's talk about like what this stock split actually means. Yep. Uh, in fact, I believe the split is happening tomorrow morning. So a stock split is a good thing for investors. Typically what happens is you have stock price that gets overinflated. Yeah. Um, and it makes it really hard for investors to get in on the stock. It's right. great for people who purchased low at like $3, which is where GameStop stock was, and it's at 140-something right just, now. It's way overvalued, and I will say that every time. But when it splits, uh, so I believe the value, because they took the... They took the value from a few days ago. Right. It was at $141, right? What? When it splits, it you will have one, instead of one share at $141, you'll have four shares that were worth 141 divided by four. So like 35. Right. Something. Um, so it's typically a good thing. The reason why stock splits are really good is because the share value tends to grow very quickly again after a stock split. Mm -hmm. And um, oh, I'll talk about that in a second. But... <laughs> So typically when we talk about stock splits, we there's the assumption of growth that's going to happen because you have investors who are going to purchase more stock. So people who had stock, who believe in the stock, are going to purchase more shares at that lower price. Yep. And that'll that'll grow the share value. And additionally, you have people who looked at that and said, I can't buy $140 stocks, but I could definitely buy a couple of shares at $35 and yep. see if it gets back to $140. Mm -hmm. 
So splitting a stock is very good for investors. Reverse stock splits very bad. Stock splits very good. So uh, just as a reminder, though, GameStop posted a 4x operating loss. That's $153.7 million uh, last quarter over the same quarter the year before. <sighs> yeah. So when you split announce a stock split, which is very good for investors, it's it's a mo it's a a hint of strength, right? You're you're signaling strength, and then you say, okay, we're gonna lay off a bunch of employees. You are sending a really shitty message. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Especially though, GameStop. See, this is why this is why this misalignment. We've talked about the misalignment between the share value GameStop share value and the company's performance, and this is why you have this weird friction that's happening they posted a bottom line loss of 157.9 million dollars in the first quarter of this year compared to a loss of 66.8 million in the first quarter last year so they've more than doubled their losses yep and the loss represents 11.5 percent of net sales versus only 5.2 percent of net sales last year that is an enormous enormous jump that's bad yes it's very bad so there's there's a lot of weird shit that's going on so no, that was told to me. No. Okay. We're going to talk about this. Three people at Game Informer were laid off. And they were the two most recent hires. And Jeff Akervik, who, when I was there, um, and long before I was there and long after I left, uh, was that he is, if you've read a Game Informer magazine in the last 14 years, it has Jeff's fingerprints all over it. The man is an amazing designer. Um, he led the redesign of the magazine when it was redesigned a number of years ago. Cutting Jeff Akervik signals to me that GameStop is really not interested in continuing the print magazine. Um, and especially yeah. now, I believe they are down to six editors. Now, two editors, the two uh, editorial people who were cut, John Carson... Uh, and Wes, whose last name I can't remember. LeBlanc. LeBlanc. Um, yeah, so there was some, uh, there was a development today. Wes is actually coming back because Jill Grote, who uh, was hired right before the two of them, has opted to leave. Um, and she posted on Twitter today that the, that the layoffs just broke her heart. And I don't believe, based on what she said, that she has everything lined up. I think she's just done. I think she just doesn't want to be there anymore. And quite frankly... Don't you know, blame I don't her. blame I, I, I obviously have, have some very mixed feelings um, and I'm not going to go into into that. But I think there's the situation at GameStop and I don't want to talk about Game Informer so much as I do that GameStop um, has made has has weakened Game Informer. Um, I think that these cuts are arbitrary. I think that the cuts the last time were arbitrary uh, when people uh, when in, in, when people were laid off, when when Matt Burtz and the and his reports were laid off, mm -hmm. um, it, it felt extremely arbitrary for an organization that was run very cleanly from a budgeting perspective. Yep. Um, it's it's icky. It's icky. But here's the piece that that's it's even worse. Do you want to talk about this or do you want me to talk oh, about no, this? Oh, no, no. This is your story, my love. I I mean, you have been, despite your former ties to GameStop, you have been absolutely ardent in roasting them. <laughs> yeah. um, so part of these most recent layoffs, GameStop, and I'm going to put this in quotes, fired its CFO. And when we say, and again, quotes, fired, we really mean they sent him out the door with a stupid amount of go away money. Sure. Yeah. I, okay, sure. 
So Did you give that go away money to the workers? Well, this is the part that bothers me about this. Um, you had someone who was there for just over a year. Mike Recupero is his name. Um, they let him go without cause. Now, we've talked about this whole with cause, without cause thing in the past yep. uh, with regard to Bobby Kotick's potential payouts um, in relation to the much smaller payouts that, that Andrew Wilson, EA CEO, would get. So I want to talk about what it means that Mike Recupero was fired, again, quotes, without cause. He was let go without cause. When he was hired, Recupero was given a $3.6 million bonus to be paid out over 24 months. Right. He was also given a $10.8 million equity bonus that vested in tr- that was supposed to vest in tranches over 48 months. Okay. Um, so because he was fired without cause, that means he's entitled to six months of salary. His base salary was $200,000, so he'll be getting $100,000. Oh, my gosh. Six months of COBRA for him and his family. So COBRA is important. I don't actually begrudge him this. Um, because of the way health insurance works in the United States. So I do not regret quote. Yeah. Air quotes on uh, works. Yes. Uh, it doesn't, but he will also get the remainder of his sign on bonus. What? Which is about $1.15 million. How? He will get paid out because being fired without cause means that he's entitled to the rest of his, his sign on bonus. Additionally, now he won't vest any additional equity. Um, and he, that vested in very in in a increasing amount. So he only vested five percent of his ten point eight million dollar equity. So he vested okay. five hundred forty thousand dollars of stock. By the way, that's about to split. So that's about to be worth a lot more. <sighs> okay. Uh, of course, he had to sign off that he wouldn't sue the company, and I'm sure there was an NDA and a non-disparagement in there. Oh, uh, the sure. new CFO, former Chief Accounting Officer Diana Sadejaje, uh, she's going to receive the same base salary, that's $200,000, but she's not getting an additional sign-on or transformational bonus. Transformational bonus is typically we're giving you a bonus for taking on a bigger role. Uh, though she can still get the remainder of her $1.965 million bonus granted on August 1st, 2021. That will still pay out in the same schedule. She's also getting an additional $100,000 in equity rewards awards that'll vest on July 1st, 2023. So she's getting another hundred thousand in equity but he had 10.8 million dollars equity now i posted this on twitter and let me tell you something folks i'm about to get a little salty because i fucking hate this shit the number of nft chuds and gamestop hodl assholes that were in my mentions because they didn't like that i was just stating facts about the way this is playing out facts jack I, if you were part of the Wall Street Bets group, you made your bank, you gave some money to charity, you know what? I am glad you got yours. Shut the fuck up. Anyway. <laughs> stop it. <laughs> and we're closing out this week's labor report with some excellent news. The QA workers at Blizzard Albany, formerly Vicarious Visions and always pouring one out for Vicarious Visions, are following in Raven's footsteps. The group is asking Activision Blizzard to voluntarily recognize GWA Albany. Woo! Absolutely love this. After getting smacked down by the NLRB, Activision Blizzard would be just wasting money fighting this. So we'll see what happens. The group is looking for fair compensation. Seems reasonable. Pay transparency. I love that. Better benefits. Hell yeah. Better healthcare. We love that too. Better alignment between job titles and compensation. That's an important one. Listen, that one is... That's the business right there. Better process for addressing workplace issues, including misconduct and retaliation, and better work-life balance, especially with regards to crunch. 
We love to see it. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really glad. We're rooting for you. Yes, absolutely. Rooting for you. You do not have to shut the fuck up. You keep talking. Keep we talking. We will signal boost you. We will, absolutely, 100%. But hey, Mike. Hey, Amanda. Hey, Mike. Hey, Amanda. You know what we have this week? Ah, uh, well, but given that it's not crossed out, it looks like we have a fuck around and find out award. We do. And not only do we have one fuck around and find out award. Oh, my God. Double fafo all across the sky. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a double fafo award. All right. Oh, man. So when, when the time warrants it, we will pick the person or company in the game industry that has tended their garden from small seeds of fucking around to a sequoia-sized tree of finding out. Look at how tall it is. It's so tall. Yep. And you know who's at the top throwing shit? Bungie. <laughs> I fucking love this. Bungie is taking no shit. <laughs> Listen, do no harm and take no shit. That's how we roll here. So first up in the FAFO Awards, the double FAFO all across the sky, Bungie is laying the FAFO smackdown again. Yep. This time, the Destiny developer is targeting a streamer and shitstirrer named Luca Leone, otherwise known as Miffy's World. This schmuck has been banned 13 times on different accounts, has threatened to burn down the Bungie offices, and has threatened violence against specific employees, including community manager Dylan Gaffner. Listen here, folks. If you are not paying your community managers exceptionally well, you are doing it wrong. Community managers deserve everything. Yeah, because Just like this your QA is, folks deserve everything. Yeah, because this shit is, is terrible. This is what they deal with on a regular basis. This is stupid. All right, so Leon also runs a forum for selling Destiny 2 in-game items and cheats. Y'all, come on. Yeah, but here's the beautiful part. All right, go for it. The suit is seeking $150,000 per incident of copyright infringement. Yeah. Yep, $2,500 of statutory damages per instance of using This is actually software. right on board with what they wanted for the last time that this yeah, happened. Yeah, and injunctive relief to stop the harassment and stalking. Okay, no, I love that too. Yeah. We, eager, we eagerly await the rest of the finding out segment of this story. It's such a big deal that Bungie has filed this suit, uh, especially because this is someone who's threatened violence and has specifically called and said Bungie had better lock its doors. Like, I'm sorry. No, no. motherfucker. No. You shut the fuck up. <laughs> Mike's in a mood tonight. I'm in a mood tonight. He's in a mood tonight. If, I'll tell you what. If you would like to give $5 to the Virtual Economy Fund, I will tell you or a person of your choosing to shut the fuck up. <laughs> really? Yeah. $5. And I will deliver like a cameo. But it's just me looking at them going, shut the fuck up. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. All I'll right. do it. I'll do it in an accent. Like not an offensive one. No, you'll I'll do it in your Jersey accent. I will do it in my Jersey. I'll be like, yo, shut the fuck up pretty impressive <laughs> you can make that your ringtone too in fact i will make <laughs> i will record something that you can use as your ringtone don't make promises like this hey ma shut the fuck up <laughs> ma the cat the cat's back oh god folks i'm punchy it's been such a long week oh, it's been a long year all right favo number two uh brazil's best independent games festival that's the big yeah, you know me. Uh, used to be a beloved event. Under it new, really did. Yeah, under new management, though, the festival has become a hotbed of crypto and NFT scam bullshit. And this is where developer Mark Venturelli steps in. Oh, he is not Mark. the recipient of the FAFO award. No. He is the FAFO hero. Yeah, FAFO hero He laid down the FAFO smackdown. Uh, so you might not know his name, but you probably know 
uh, the game that he developed, that's Sentai-inspired Chroma Squad. Chroma Squad! It was so good, right? It was awesome. Uh, he was slated to give a talk called The Future of Game Design, and upon starting, he surprisingly pivoted the talk to something slightly different. Now, mind you, he was doing this remotely. He was not actually there, <laughs> because he had COVID while he was giving this talk, apparently. Oh my goodness. Uh, and the talk was pivoted to something slightly different called uh, Why NFTs Are a Nightmare. So after a tweet early in the talk drew attention, it seems that some of the crypto and NFT sponsors tried to break into the talk to shut it down. Thankfully, the B.I.G. organizers didn't let that happen, which lessens their their fafoness, but yeah. they got themselves into this situation. They so, better get themselves out. Uh, many developers. Uh, so this is from uh, an interview that he did with PC Gamer. Excellent interview linked in the show notes. Many developers were in favor of boycotting the, the event. Uh, when the NFT and crypto sponsors were announced, but Venturelli told PC Gamer, quote, if we boycott it and we don't go to it, we're conceding defeat pretty much. We're just saying we forfeit. We cannot do this. We need to do the opposite. In fact, I do not think that the event organization is pro-crypto or pro-NFT. I know them personally. I serve as an advisor on the board of Abra Games, (gasps) which is the Association of Brazilian Game Developers Companies. Huge! My opinion against crypto and NFT is not the majority at Abra Games, but it's important that I represent this opinion over there. In the same way it's important that we go and we take up the space that is offered to us not only to me but to many people in the indie scene in brazil yeah i was on the side of hey let's contest this let's use this space let's voice our opinion against it otherwise the blockchain companies are going to be monologuing over there mm. so his feeling here is if we just let them have the space we're also creating a skewed perspective that this is what the future actually is but it's not it's not and quite frankly you've seen that the NFT, like the, the bottom has already fallen it's out. It's fallen of the out, NFT, and the, and the transactions market. are often washing to inflate their own value, which we've talked about quite a bit. Yes. Um, so while things could have been much worse for Big, they were dealt a healthy dose of finding out after fucking around with crypto and NFT bullshit. And now they can shut the fuck up. And now they can shut the fuck up. <laughs> God damn it! And you know who else lot. is going to shut the fuck up? We are. Are we? Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Virtual Economy Podcast. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter at Virtual Econcast. I am at Futterish, F-U-T-T-E-R-I-S-H-S-H-U-T-T-H-E-F-U-C-K-U-P. You're so pleased with it. Like, you should have seen the way he looked at me. He's so pleased with himself. I He's spelled like the- shut the fuck up without having to write it down. I know you did. Con- congratulations. I'm at Amanda Farrow. You can subscribe to our RSS feed at virtualeconcast.com or shutthefuckupmike.com. Oh, it's a very Dave Oshry URL. It really is. Give us, give us money. Give us we dot, hate money. dot money. We hate dot money. So mm. good. We love Dave Oshry in this house. Um, You can listen to us on all major podcasting platforms, including Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Amazon Stitcher, Pocket Cast. I always forget this last one. Pocket Sand! Right in the face. You know, if you enjoyed our shenanigans and our analysis, more importantly, our analysis, (laughs) but like also our shenanigans, because you know what? If you're not having fun, this is video games, folks. It might be the business of video games, but it's still video games. They're fun. Um, Subscribe. And if possible, on your platform of choice, let us know what you think. Send us some love letters. You know, if there are things on this show that you want us to do more of, do less of, tell us. Yeah, I know that there was somebody who wanted us to cover something about free-to-play stuff. That's on the list, but not for this week, because this week we had so much There's too much to do next week, though. Yeah, so uh, you can DM us with questions. If you have questions or suggestions, we'd love to hear those. We also uh, have that email address, podcast at fsquared.biz. We've got a Discord community. 
Uh, I do ASMR now. Uh, for instance, shut the fuck up. <laughs> Why are you like this? That's what ASMR is. It's smacking your lips and saying, shut the fuck up really quietly into the mic. Think, I don't think that's a, don't do it again. Stop it. <laughs> you're, no, you're fired. You're fired. I'm sorry. I'm going to finish this up real quick. Anyway, we <laughs> will be, real quick, we will be back next week. Remember to wash your hands, stay hydrated, and be good to one another. Shut the fuck up. We'll see you soon.